Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is Ben Olson in Washington, D.C. and Nathan Fox. Yeah, how you doing, man? I'm in sunny Los Angeles. We've been stuck in rain for weeks now, but today the sun is out. I'm about to, uh, this afternoon, get on my new cruiser-style bicycle that I bought. Okay. You know, the old-school kind with just only, like, the coaster brakes. Um, cool. No, not super familiar with that, but yeah. Well, you know, not, not hand brakes, but just <laughs> you put the pedals backward and that's the brakes. Oh, okay. Know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to go with a friend and bike down to Venice Beach, Santa Monica Beach and everything. So I'm excited about this afternoon. Yeah. Nice that the sun finally came out. Yeah, it's been un- unseasonably warm here. It's like 60 out, so that's everybody's outside and... And, yeah, nice. Enjoying it. Well, today we have some emails, as always, and uh, we'll probably get to a logical reasoning question as well. <clears throat> One email is from Peter, who emailed us earlier about uh, leaving a music career. We then have Thad, who is a non-traditional student, seeking some application advice, of course. And then we have Adam, who is signed up for a Kaplan class and doing some stuff before class and wondering what else he can do. So without further ado, let's jump into Peter. Peter emailed us earlier and basically got in the like 164, right? And was wondering whether he should uh, apply uh, this cycle or wait until next cycle, given the fact that he thought he could do better. And I think we told him that he should wait because he might end up getting some offers and then be tempted by them. Despite that advice, it sounds like he went ahead and did apply to... He got suckered in by the $60 free application that that Temple was offering him. (laughs) That's right, Peter. So $60 for a, um, a big career ahead of you tempted you to apply to uh, <laughs> Temple, which, hey, you know, that happens. So, okay. So you applied, and now he has a question for us because he not only got in, but he got a full ride, uh, which is $90,000 over three years. And... Yeah, it's, it's going to cover his, you know, fees there, right? Or maybe even books. Mm-hmm. He says in-state tuition is only 27000 but he's getting 30000 a year. Um, so he's, you know, there's a little extra there to cover, uh, books or something. Yeah. Um, and then he also says that the redistribution each year is dependent on a 2.5 GPA. Yeah. And it's really important to make sure you look at those, uh, renewal requirements because a 3.0 renewal requirement can actually be very difficult if the, uh, average GPA at your school is 2.7. Sure. Yeah. But I think these 2.5 redistribution deals are pretty easy, you know, or at least it gives you an easy call. Because if you don't have a 2.5, you need to drop out of law school. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's yeah, for real. Yeah. I mean, that's a no-brainer, yeah. isn't it? You're not yeah. You're not doing well. You're not doing well. You need to drop out instead of, you know, if, if he got a 2.4 in his first year and then they were going to take his scholarship away, he would just be an idiot to write that check for 30000 the next yeah. year. It's a, it's a good uh, safeguard. It keeps you from wasting more of your life. Yeah. So this deal it seems like a pretty solid deal to me. I can't think of any other gotcha kind of issues with this deal. Can you? No. 
Okay, so he's got like a legit full ride here to Temple. Yeah. He says that he can live with one or two good friends for basically nothing, which is interesting. Um, And he says Temple has a strong reputation for regional employment, which doesn't sound too surprising to me. I mean, they're ranked 50 uh, overall, and they're in Philly, so... That doesn't. It's not like a, a low tier school. It's not a high tier school, but um, sounds like they probably do have good prospects, at least in the region. I wouldn't expect more beyond that. But so his question. Oh, he says I've always been a pretty ambitious person, but I don't think I necessarily need to be a Supreme Court justice. Well, that's good because you're not that ambitious. <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> Just side note, if you're going to law school and you, quote, need to be a Supreme Court justice, then uh, you better have all your ducks in a row because you're pretty much not going to become one. That's just... (laughs) Well, I mean, you need to go to Yale. You need to go to Yale and you need to do really well at Yale and then you need to have a lot of luck because the kind of person that's going to be chosen for that position is just, oh man. Anyway, I just want to be a good lawyer with a career that is both rewarding and meaningful. Okay. But I do really think that I could score well enough to make it into pen if I waited and tried the LSA twice more. Also, if I did wait and reapply, I would also take your standard advice and apply to a full five to ten schools beyond the Philly area to cast that wider net, as you always say. Yeah, because he only ended up applying to one temple. Mm. I know this is a pretty personal decision, but any chance you guys could spout off for a few minutes about the pros and cons and costs and benefits that you foresee in accepting this offer from Temple versus Delane and risking the long shot of Penn. So, yeah, thoughts? First of all, we never spout off. This is, we're not spouting off here. This is, you know, solid gold advice. (laughs) Always. Well (laughs) thought out. Perfectly planned out in advance, yeah. (laughs) Thoroughly researched. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he got a good deal here. I, If he reapplied, especially if he got a higher LSAT score, and especially if he reapplied, uh, then he would put himself in and applied broader. Not even 5 to 10. I'm not even sure that's enough. I don't know where he came up with the 5 to 10 schools number. I'd be looking more like 15 schools. Yeah, especially if you can get schools. a fee waiver. I mean, you don't have to want to or go to 30. the schools. Not necessarily, yeah. You you can definitely like throw up some trial balloons, Donald Trump style. You can just throw out like all sorts of bullshit and see what works. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but if he applied to fifteen, twenty schools with a, you know, instead of his one sixty five or one one sixty four, I can't 164, remember one sixty four. Yeah. If he reapplies with a one sixty nine, you know, he's gonna get get himself a bunch of other very interesting offers. Yeah. Um, and then he puts himself, he gives himself like a good problem to have. Um, I don't see a lot of downside in waiting. You know, why you don't need to be in such a hurry. And this is a good offer you got. And I'd be shocked also if Temple doesn't give you the same offer next year. I mean, especially if you improve your LSAT score. Yeah. You come back to them with a higher LSAT score, and now they're like, nah, never mind. 
we wanted you last year, but now we're not into you anymore. I mean, that could happen, but have you been ever heard anything well, like that happening? I guess this is I'm I'm trying to think about it from their perspective. And if he comes back with a higher score, I think if I were Temple, I would be thinking that he didn't accept it last year and he now has a better score. So the chances of him actually going to Temple seem lower to me. And so I would be a little hesitant to offer a full ride again or even accept him at all because I'd be worried about the yield. Yes, that's a hypothetical concern. But have you ever heard of that happening? Well, I haven't heard of that happening, but I'm, it's not like I'm out there asking people and surveying people. I mean, the reality is that they have to protect that. And why would you accept someone who is very unlikely to go to your school? I just... Uh... I think you might be overthinking it. I don't know that they're going to even remember. I don't know how big Temple is, but let's say it's at least 100 students, probably more like 200 students. They need to fill those seats. They also are very concerned about their LSAT and GPA profile because that's another metric on which they are ranked. Yield is part of their ranking, but LSAT, I got to think, is just as important Mm -hmm. for ranking or maybe more important. Also, they're trying to admit people who are going to be good lawyers and who are going to go out and be very successful. I feel like Peter is a candidate who is going to raise the profile of the school if he attends. And that's why they're giving him scholarship money. Yeah. And if he applies again with a higher LSAT score, all to me, all that looks like is, oh, this guy's a serious candidate. I mean, maybe they ask him, hey, why didn't you take our full ride last year? But if they ask him that, why doesn't he say, oh, I just wasn't ready. You know, I decided to take another year to decide uh, what I'm doing with my life. Well, here's the thing. If if he does so well on the LSAT that Temple feels like it's not even worth offering him a slot because he's going to go somewhere else and that's going to hurt their yield, then he should probably be going somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, if, yeah, it, if sure. it's that good anyway, it's probably not much of a loss. Yeah. If they think you would be an idiot for attending their school, <laughs> they're like, oh, no. We can't have this guy. He's too good for us. So they just deny him. Yeah. Then, okay, good. You didn't want to go there anyway. Yeah. But again, that's another one. I have, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm trying to think of a student who has applied to a so-called safety school and gotten anything other than just a full ride. I mean, I guess you hear once in a while a weird denial that you thought, oh, wow, I thought you would have gotten in there. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's happening all as much as people make it out to be. I'm thinking... I don't know, man. If that super hot chick at the bar <laughs> starts making eye contact, I don't. I'm, I'm not sitting there going, "Oh no, uh, you know, she." I could never get her. She, she, she's the one that's initiating the contact, right? Peter is the one that's applying. Yeah, yeah. So, what are you going to be like? Oh no, they're too. They're too good for me. They, they can't possibly really be interested, even though they just asked me. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> for I agree. I um. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I don't know how big of a deal the yield is, I guess. I'm totally speculating, but it makes no sense to me. It just doesn't make sense. And I've never heard of that happening. I have, you know, I encourage my students to apply to 20 schools. And they, I've never, I don't hear people coming back to me going, hey, I applied to, I can't believe it, with my 165. And I applied to 
Golden Gate or USF or whatever. And, or, you know, I applied to, um, whatever Pepperdine and I didn't get in with, with my 165. Can you believe that? I have never once heard anyone say that. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. I, um, I wonder what he could do with deferment. Can you defer and then apply to other schools? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, do you think that they'll defer that scholarship? I guess, yeah, that's the question, too. Would they? Sure, you can defer and start a year later. Would it have the same offer? I think it would. I don't see why they would revoke that, because then they'd also lose him as a potential student next year. Yeah. My guess is, you know, that if if they think he's so qualified now that they're not even going to charge him money, why wouldn't they make that same offer next year? The, the, nothing changes at these schools. You know, it's just another class of 200 people that they've got to fill. And the rankings game slowly evolves over time, but he, he's overqualified now. He's going to be overqualified next year. And I, I'm really surprised if they don't give him that same offer or better. Yeah. Yeah, or, or let him just even defer it for a year. Yeah. So he goes on, he says, I owe you both a lot if you field this question before April 15th. That's the commitment day to Temple. In exchange, I will answer any questions about piano playing you might have. Explain how similar classic mu- classical music is to the LSAT. Or perhaps join the podcast to detail my law school journey in the future. Well, thank you, Peter, for all those offers. I guess my one piano question for you is... Hmm. I have one. Go for it. Uh, Did Ryan Gosling really learn how to play jazz piano for La La Land? Uh, It looked awful lot like he was playing quite a bit of it. I mean, I'm sure he didn't play all of the very impressive piano playing that's in that movie. But I would like to know how much you think Ryan Gosling actually played in the movie La La Land. Uh, I don't want to answer on behalf of Peter, but I do think the answer is yes. Because I thought I saw some video where he was talking about how he practiced for three hours a day. Yeah, I know he, I mean, I'm sure the answer is not zero. But I also am pretty sure the answer is not 100% because there's some crazy piano playing that uh, I don't think, you know, I don't think Ryan Gosling is now a world-class piano player, but I do think he knows how to play the piano. It's pretty damn impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So you saw the movie. I did. Yeah. 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 I took, I took my wife like you told me to. I told her I had to, it was a job I had to do for the podcast. That didn't go over well. And? No, I'm just kidding. Way to ruin I'm it. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, no, it was good. I actually enjoyed it. I kind of—it was one of those movies where you see the trailer, and I just thought to myself, "I have no interest in this whatsoever." And you recommended it. A couple other people recommended it, and of course, I knew it got all these Oscars. But I was like, I, "That doesn't sway me any any bit." But um, because you recommended it, and a couple other people recommended it, I was like, "Okay, well, let's go." And even when I was going to the theater, I was kind of like, what is this even about? Like, I still don't even understand what it's about. And when I got there, it just like, uh, it just takes, I mean, it was a good movie. It just the whole time I was interested in what was happening and what was going on. I, yet I have the opposite experience with a lot of movies too. You know, some trailers, I'm like, 
oh, I've got to see this movie. I can't wait until it comes out. And then it comes out and it's like three three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. And you're like, I, I yeah. don't know who made the trailer, but probably there's someone different than whoever made the movie because that is it yeah. looks cool, but it's awful. I generally try to avoid trailers and reviews. and I mean, I'll look at Rotten Tomatoes just to see the ranking. But if the number is really high on Rotten Tomatoes, the odds are really high that I'm going to love it. And so I'll just, you know, I, I knew Ye- I knew La La Land was a musical comedy, you know, musical romance kind of thing. And I wouldn't be, I would not describe myself as, oh my God, I love musicals or musical theater or anything like that. That's not really what I'm into, but I love good movies. And I knew, I just knew it was going to be a good movie. Or it seemed very likely to be a good movie. And so then, because I mean, I'll watch anything that's good. You know, I I never understand when people are like, oh, I don't like documentaries. Or, oh, I don't like this one. You know, I I don't like science fiction. Like, okay, but there are good documentaries and there are really good science fiction movies. And there are good movies in like every genre. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Anyway, if you don't know anything about La La Land, go see it if you can. It's You'll make your life better. Just do it. Speaking of La La Land, um, Matt from D.C., uh, who we talked about last time. Do you remember? He's the one who asked if you've ever cried about the LSAT. Oh, yeah. And you said no. And he wrote me an email after the episode came out, and he said, but he did tear up in La La Land. And I said, (laughs) yeah, you're right. And he said, you need to bring out the sentimental side or something along those lines of Nathan. So... Um, I don't know how to do that, but I've got to get you to admit to tearing up in more situations than you might be inclined to otherwise. <laughs> so what what else have you cried about, Nathan? Um, we should talk about uh, boy. We should talk about couch surfing. This is a whole other. This is a whole other side discussion, but we could definitely talk about couch surfing. Okay, couch surfing. What's that? It's something that is totally outside my natural personality, but I am 100% in love with it now. A friend recommended it to me. Couchsurfing is where you have an extra bedroom or an extra couch or whatever, and you basically post it for free for travelers to come and be your guest. So it's like Airbnb, but for free, and you for zero dollars. Do you do it on Airbnb, yes. or do you do it on like Craigslist? No, I do it on Couchsurfing. Oh, Couchsurfing.com. Okay, great. I didn't know if Airbnb had like a free option. They probably don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But Couchsurfing is its its own it's a to- own separate deal, and, um, and this makes you cry. Well. It's a very, very heartwarming kind of a thing. It's you'd have to really, I guess you'd have to just do it or or meet some people that were doing it, because I've had now thirty probably different travelers from all around the world who have come and stayed with okay. me, mm-hmm. and it's an awesome like exchange program. You know, like I'm I'm like walking around L.A. with uh, people from. Russia mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Poland and Germany and Brazil and <laughs> Belgium and Slovenia and like I have friends around the world now instantly because of this. Yeah. So there's one thing about it that's awesome. <laughs> I had this weekend a woman from Norway who was traveling with her mother who was 80 years old 
And it was her, she'd never, the 80 year old mother had never been in America before. It was her dream to come uh, to visit America. Mm -hmm. And she decided to take this trip with her daughter to celebrate her 80th birthday. Okay. And they asked if they could stay with me. And this woman on the day they arrived was actually mom's 80th birthday. And so my buddy came down from Sacramento just because he was wanting to visit me too. He came down from Sacramento and stayed on the couch. And this woman and her mom stayed in my uh, second bedroom. And we had a dinner party here at my place to celebrate this woman's 80th birthday. (laughs) Like saying happy birthday to her and everything. So that is an example of where couch surfing did I it got a little misty a couple times more when I was thinking about it more when I like when I got the request from this woman <laughs> that she wanted yeah. to come and have her her mom's 80th birthday with me it was it's just so nice it's it's um it, it will and I'm not even shitting you it will reaffirm your faith in humanity that's that's like a pretty much couch surfing guarantee <laughs> because it's like it, it's just so generous you know it yeah sure people are getting a free place to stay all yeah. right but but that's not why they're doing it um in most cases they're doing it because they want to stay with locals they want to actually be in los angeles and actually be in america instead of like being at the hilton mm-hmm mm-hmm no, it's just been, it's been really cool um, making new friends. And I've, so far I've only hosted, but I'm looking forward to uh, when I get some time, I want to go traveling and just go stay with a bunch of random people. So Yeah, yeah. Well, it looks like there's, uh, holy cow, I mean, there's over six, 3,000 hosts in LA alone. I'm, I cannot find you. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> As as uh as there's so many, but wow, that's quite a thing. Yeah, no, it's really cool. I mean, I know people are gonna think I'm weird for this, but my my family definitely. My mom is like, think you're weird. Isn't... Why is it weird? I don't. Understand. I don't know. My you know people are so shut off, right? People are like got their doors triple locked and just like afraid of the other, you know, afraid mm-hmm. of outsiders. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just I had this crazy conversation with my mom about it where. My mom's like, but isn't that, isn't that dangerous for them to just come and stay with a random person? And I'm like, mom, you think it's dangerous for them to come and stay with me? <laughs> think about what you're saying. <laughs> you. <laughs> she didn't have you in mind. She had some, yeah. some okay, but... fr- like freak who's using sure. the program. Or, yeah, well, yeah. it's just, I don't know. It, it will make you feel better about the rest of humanity once you realize that basically people are good. <laughs> and it's just really nice, yeah. Yeah, well, it looks like you have all sorts of verification stuff they do here too, so. Right, I mean, you look at reviews and pictures and you see what they wrote about themselves on their profile, like what they're interested in and then you can you can kind of double check like hey here's this other person I stayed with and here's what that person said about them and yeah you you do a little bit of that but I mean there's times too where I'll just accept somebody that has zero reviews if they if they wrote a nice profile and it seems like they're you know if they mentioned board games then it's like well yeah I need somebody to play board games with so come on over 
<laughs> that time bomb game. Oh, that's so great. Have you done it yet? No, no, not yet. Sorry. I'm doing it with my next LSAT class. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to make them solve some palms. <laughs> cool. Well, the next uh, email is from Thad. He says, hey, guys, love the show. Thanks for the help. I'm a non-traditional applicant, and I plan on enrolling in law school this fall. Wait. He's going to enroll this fall for next fall, I guess, I hope. Maybe he meant apply. Yeah. But then again, maybe not, man. I get so many calls from people like that are still... I was talking to a guy yesterday who's thinking about taking the June LSAT and going this this fall. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, well, if a school is accepting the June LSAT, <laughs> they're desperate for students and not a good law school. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's concerning. Yeah. At 34, wait, at 34? Is that what makes him non-traditional? I don't consider I 34 for that old, but... No. Okay. I mean, it's sure it's not the norm, but yeah. okay. I've decided to leave my acting career for a career in law, despite all your warnings. Okay. Okay, so now non-traditional, that. right? Yeah. We don't get a lot of actors that are going into law. Yeah. I was always a good student, but I have been out of school for quite a few years now. My question is, would you recommend a 1L prep program for someone in my situation? And if so, which one? Barbary, PowerScore, etc. Oh, I didn't know PowerScore had one. Any other tips on how to spend my pre-1L summer besides reading and relaxing? Oh, so he's already applied and been accepted, it sounds like. Yeah, that's what it is. He's asking for the summer. What do I do? Do I do one of these pre-law prep programs? Yeah, thanks again. Your show has been great resource for me. I only wish I had found you before I dumped a chunk of money on a Kaplan LSAT course. His words, not ours. Okay, I would say I I would be very skeptical of any of these classes. Um, I'm not opposed to getting ready for law school. One book that I recommend to a lot of students who have been accepted is Getting to Maybe. It's a book that I read in law school. Uh, it just talks about what law professors are looking for when they're testing you on an exam. And I found it very helpful as I navigated my second year in law school. And I kind of wish I had read it before my first year. Other than that... I don't know. I would, I guess these things can't hurt. I just don't know how much they're worth the money. What's your thought? Sounds miserable to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coming from people who don't <laughs> practice law anymore and don't want to have anything to do with yeah. law school. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I agree. Law school is already way too long. I mean, I was bored out of my mind all three years of law school. And you're just making it a little bit longer and a little bit more expensive. I agree with Ben's advice about reading Getting to Maybe. I think that should be required reading. I think the school will also have a stack of books that at least Hastings did, had a whole stack of books. Unfortunately, Getting to Maybe wasn't one of them. Hmm. But it was more like a bunch of uh, kind of overly romantic movie uh movies overly romantic romanticized books about you know supreme court justices and that sort of thing i think it was meant to be inspirational or something but oh yeah 
Yeah. You could you could read some of that stuff. Some of that stuff is kind of cool, like the Jeffrey Tubin stuff. Oh, yeah. No, Jeffrey Tubin, he's a really good writer, too. Yeah, so. that's the thing. Jeffrey Tubin is a really good writer, so you could check that out. But yeah, get some sunshine, get some exercise, get your ducks in a row, maybe. Like, just sort out any personal issues or house issues or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that wall that you've been meaning to paint, that's a, you better get that done now because you're probably not getting it done once law school starts. You know, one piece of advice that you have frequently given is uh, to take practice exams. Mm-hmm for the classes that you're in, right? Yeah. And it might be premature to do that before you go into law school, but if you do know what classes you're going to take, if you can talk to the law school and you can get your hand on just one of them and get a sense of what they're going to be asking you, uh, even if you end up just doing that the first week or two of class, I think that would be really helpful. Every time you go into your class discussion, you kind of see the end Right, like this is all to get me to this point in which I take yeah. an exam, and so you can know what to focus on and what to ignore because there's so much just to ignore chatter, right? Especially in the first month. Yeah, when they go back to the Magna Carta, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and Blackstone and all that yeah. shit. It's like, okay, this is not part of the final, really. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I think for sure before the first day of class, you should have your hands on the finals if you can, if you can get them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about getting maybe getting some of the reading for the class, too? If you if you can get the professor. If, yeah, if you know your professors or. Yeah, depending on the school, Hastings, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't tell you what your professors were going to be. But at a smaller school, you might be able to figure it out. Like everyone takes torts from Professor Johnson. Yeah. If that's the case, then you could go get Professor Johnson's syllabus from last year probably pretty easily somewhere off the website or from a a 2L. Sure. Just talk to somebody there. Yeah, for sure. Get in touch with 2Ls. Yeah. How about that? Just get in touch with 2Ls at your school, rising 2Ls at your school and say, hey, can I have all your shit from last year? Yeah. And then start looking at all that stuff and then realize how excruciating it is and then don't go to law school at all. There you go. That's that's what you need to do. You need to pick up one of these books that you're going to have to read for the next three years and realize that it was all a big mistake and that acting in commercials is totally fine. <laughs> commercials. That's uh, insulting. <laughs> hey, he's an actor and he's leaving his career. How about his pseudonym? I like his pseudonym. Yeah, ad hominem. Thad hominem, sorry. Thad hominem. Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty that's funny. That's pretty good. Yeah. Sorry, Thad, I'm making assumptions about your uh, your career in acting right now. But no, that's a good one. And plus, I do feel like, at least for me, I came from an econ major. And so it was just all math. And the amount of reading my first semester was a little overwhelming. I, I just mm. couldn't believe. I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to read this case and this other case before the next class. And I mean, eventually I got used to that. But it's also just not interesting reading. Well, you might say that it's interesting if you're into this sort of thing, but uh, it's also really poorly written reading, oh, it's right? It's so poorly written. I mean, it's the so cases dense. are archaic, and then the the professor who's giving you commentary on the case, 
A lot of times they use big words. They do everything that successful attorneys don't do. I mean, they do everything that attorneys do, but they don't do what successful attorneys do. And successful attorneys don't use big words. They use, they sound like journalists. And that's why they're successful, but there's very few of them. Any case, uh, yeah, it it might be good to read some. And then when you do actually have to start reading it, you're a little familiar with what's going on and what the structure is. Yeah. I mean, get the stack of books from from the, the two L's. Take the first half of that stack, you know, like the first semester stack, put yeah. it in a backpack, although it probably won't even fit in a backpack. So you're going to have to get one of those dorky rolling ones, the rolling backpacks, <laughs> get one of those. And then like a nerd, go to go to the library and put them all on a you want to lift with your knees, not your back. You want to make sure you lift with your knees when you lift the stack of books up. Thanks. And put it on the table next to you and then try to read some of it and fall asleep. And uh, yeah, then you'll know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. And when people come up to you and be like, hey, you're in law school too. You can be like, yeah, I'm so cool. Yeah. Find What's out up? that that does not get you laid ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then quit <laughs> and save yourself because if he hasn't written his first semester check yet right he can't he probably can't have yet can he in february he's put he down have, some deposit right some deposit but please don't let that fifteen hundred dollars or whatever convince you that now you need to spend a hundred times that much yeah yeah all right so i guess we're not really a big fans of these 1l prep programs no although we're not saying no to prep saying get some good books and go at it yeah save some money don't don't force yourself into this and really you know get some sunshine and some exercise and some relaxation because it it is going to be a long grind once it starts (laughs) winter is coming (laughs) winter is coming yeah seriously all right cool well so then we have an email from adam and what's what's adam's situation adam says hey guys really enjoying listening to your podcast I've registered for the Kaplan LSAT prep course and on track to take the test for the first time in June. I've been using the resources on the Kaplan website to quiz myself and study before the class starts, been listening to your podcast and talking to as many lawyers as I can. The question I have is, people shouldn't say that, by the way. The question I have is. Uh, True. Extra wordiness. You should just go ahead and say. What else can I be doing to prime myself to be a complete package in my law school applications? I study journalism at Auburn University, but I've mostly been working as a carpenter at a couple different cabinet shops since I graduated in 2015. Wow, that's awesome. Um, I'm sure the first thing I should do is get a job in a more relevant field. But would you recommend a law office, something in journalism, volunteer work, or what? Uh, I've heard you say that what you do post-college is important in the application. No, not when you graduated in 2015. Not really. So any tips on what to do for the next year while I attack the LSAT would be appreciated. If you've addressed this in an earlier episode, let me know where and I'll give it a listen. Oh, that's nice, but I don't know. I have no idea. Thanks, Adam. Well, okay. So... A couple things. One, applying as a carpenter will certainly set you apart. 
That's so interesting. Man, I'd love to read a personal statement about carpentry. Sure. I wonder um, what he's doing there and if it's something that he can talk about or um, excel in in a way that would be noteworthy. Oh, man, what a good way to demonstrate your, like, focus, uh, detail orientation, yeah, mastery of sort of arcane skill. Yeah. Now, maybe Adam is not passionate about carpentry and which and he's really passionate about journalism if that's the case then i would go get something in journalism and i would try to excel at it because being a lawyer is being a writer it's uh something that's definitely related to the law and just in the last thing that we were talking about with thad's question good lawyers write like journalists they use clear language they are to the point and it makes sense what they're saying. But I don't think you should pursue journalism unless that's your passion and carpentry is not. Uh, otherwise, stick with it and show that you've been there for a while and you've excelled at it. I think that a lot of times people have things on their resume that are short. And the question is kind of like, okay, can you stick with something? Can you stick with law school for three years? Yeah. Can you stick with a legal career for 40 uh, you were at you were a carpenter for a little while, and then you went and did something else. It kind of just looks like you're drifting, you know. So I would really base it on what his passion is. Yeah, which is just general advice for life, right? Not necessarily law school, or not only law school admissions, but just do the shit that you want to do. Yeah, you only live once, you know. Yeah, if there's something you want to um, write about, go write about it. If you are really enjoying, if there's some interesting cabinet projects you can work on, work on those. Volunteering, I don't think you should ever volunteer just for the purposes of an application. Um, So many people do that, and it's very transparent when they do. If there is a volunteer organization that you're passionate about and you want to get legitimately passionately involved in it, then do that. But if you're doing it because you want to pump up your your law school application, that's just, that's the wrong route yeah you don't want to become more like everyone else right so many people uh apply as paralegals and they're like well i think this legal experience is really going to help me and it's like everyone else no it just makes you like everyone else and therefore undistinguishable in which case you got to work even harder at that law at that law job to have something to talk about and stick out for i mean maybe if he takes that law job and realizes that it sucks that's usually what I tell people, you know, it's like, Hey, if you get, if you are going to get this law job, it's because you're, you're trying to begin your legal career. Yeah. Right. So you go get a job as a paralegal in some sort of law firm because you think you want to be a lawyer. And so now you're checking it out for yourself and you're trying to make contacts for yourself and you're working on like, okay, what maybe trying to find an area of legal practice that you think you're interested in. Yeah. But that's all for you. That's not for the law school applications. That's for you. It's for you to see exactly what attorneys do all day and just how miserable every single one of them is, right? Right. Except for like two of them. And if you're like those two, then you should go. If you're like everyone else and you don't want to leave, then don't go to law school. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a, this is a side note, but I had a beer the other night with um, 
this dude who I went to Hastings with, we were, we were actually in the exact same year at Hastings, but Hastings is so big that we didn't even meet. Mm. Uh, well, that, and I was in the back of the room, like not participating, but he, uh, he's a super cool guy and I'd never met him before, but we just, um, I knew he was in LA. So we hooked up for a beer and he's a, a success story from Hastings. Okay. Like he's working at a law firm in, I don't know, Brentwood, Beverly Hills. Now he's a, he's a tax, uh, tax attorney. Yeah. And he worked his ass off at Hastings and he did very well. And he, he still like struggled mightily for jobs at when he graduated. Mm -hmm. He got one of those cheesy fake jobs, like working for Hastings so that Hastings could pad their employment stats. Mm Mm-hmm. But then he found legal work and, you know, grind just was grinding it out for a while, making like nothing really. But he did really well and sort of got promoted and got promoted. And now he is making a kind of big law sort of salary. Yeah. But he still is six figures in debt from law school. (laughs) And, you know... I think now this is now, let's see, we graduated in 2011. So he's a solid, you know, five years or more post-graduation. And now he's finally making a salary where he can pay, uh, like start making a dent on the student loans. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't get the sense that he super loves what he does every day. You know, that's the winner in the game Mm -hmm. or that's that's one of the that's one of the ones that actually made it, because I think something like probably half our class is like not practicing law at all. Hmm. So there's a zillion just losers (laughs) and then very few winners. And even the winners are like not that happy with what they're doing. Yeah. Except for like two of them, like you said. Yeah. (laughs) Who love it. Right. Well, no, that's an interesting story. Yeah, Sorry you, to get super depressing on a side story. But. <laughs> I did think while you were talking, maybe this is just life, right? Like oh. <laughs> maybe it's it's law is reflective of society generally, which is yeah. why uh, Thad is leaving acting. Uh, Peter is leaving music and um, our carpenter friend is leaving carpentry. Yeah. The, I don't know. The, the grass is always greener, right? Somewhere else. Not for me, it's not. I'm not leaving LSAT teaching. Yeah, no, that's true. We're lucky. We're we're one of the, well, and you know that's the thing that happens all the time too. People like finish the class and they're leaving, and they're like, "I don't know how you do this every day. This is <laughs> this is the last time I want to talk about or think about the LSAT ever yeah. in my life." So I guess you just got to find what you like. Well, yeah, but see, I think now we're on to something like this is this is maybe the key, right? Find something that you love, especially if you can find something that you love that nobody else does. Sure. Yeah. I mean, because that's when you end up with just this amazing, perfect fit career where you're doing, you know, we're providing you get to provide value to your students, Ben. And, you know, they, they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe this guy. Like one, he's skilled enough to do this. And two, he actually enjoys it. And you know, he's good at explaining it and like, Holy shit. So Ben has like a talent that other people don't have and he loves it. 
And so then he ends up having a very, you know, successful little business out of the whole deal. Yeah. Maybe that's what it's like for those two lawyers too, right? You know, yeah. um, my buddy Nikki, who came on the show, who is a rock star immigration lawyer, and she's, I would never be able to do the shit she does every day. Mm-hmm. But she legitimately really loves it. And so then she ends up being very happy. Yeah. I wonder if she, she must be busy now. Huh? I think she's, she's never not been busy. I mean, that's like a, she's just like a real lawyer, but yeah, of course, with all of everything up in the air. Yeah. Just trying to figure out what the law is even going to be, you know, and yeah. rushing to take advantage of current, whatever the current law is, I'm sure. So just go on Twitter. That's what I do. <laughs> well, that's where you can find it <laughs> quickest. You get it directly from the toilet in the white house. Yeah. Oh man! Well, yeah, I wasn't, no. tell, I wasn't calling the president a toilet. By the way, I was saying he's probably tweeting while he's on the toilet. That's oh, we're gonna get all that hate mail from all those Trump supporters now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. All right, so no, I think that's it. That's the key. Make sure you you enjoy what you do, and that's gonna make it easier to do it and thus do well at it, right? Like, really, success just comes down to a lot of times persistence. And if you like it, then you'll persist. If you don't, then you won't. Yeah, I mean, persistence, but don't persist in something you don't like, you know? <laughs> no, no, yeah, the persistence is a consequence or an effect of the fact that you like it rather than the reverse. To play devil's advocate here, I do know that some um, studies have come out recently arguing that uh, what you like is actually a consequence of persisting in it. And so the advice that we are giving is essentially garbage and that if people want to like something then they should persist in it and that that persistence will eventually lead to them liking it i hope there's some sort of middle ground there but <laughs> there's got uh just something to keep in mind well i mean it can be both right yeah it, it can that thing can go both ways causation can go both ways at the same time so it, yeah. it is possible that both of those are true but if you actively dislike something mm. mm-hmm if you're miserable doing whatever it is that you're doing right now, and if there's something else that you think you could be doing, boy, I just can't imagine not taking that opportunity. Yeah. What you could get hit by a bus like tomorrow. And why, you know, why would you have wasted today just grinding it out at some stupid office job that you hate? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, let's go into the June 2007 LSAT. Sound good? Yeah, man. All right. So we are in section three. You can download this from LSAC.org. Just Google June 2007 LSAT. And we are working on question 19, I believe. Okay. Number 19, we have an editor who says, many candidates say that if elected, they will reduce government intrusion into voters' lives. That sounds like a premise. It also sounds like a premise that could be taken from real life. Yeah. So it, it makes sense to me. Um, I can imagine a candidate saying, hey, pick me and I'm going to get government out of your business. We're not going to take away your guns anymore. You know, Stop regulating your business. It's something that they say... So, of course, whether it actually happens is a totally different issue, but that's... Right. Yeah, right. Okay. 
So that makes sense to me. And this is an editor saying many candidates say that if elected, this is what they're going to do. And we all, yeah, we have some skepticism. Yeah, well, but do they actually do that or not? Anyway, but voters actually elect politicians who instead promise that the government will provide assistance to solve their most pressing problems. So candidates say, I will reduce government intrusion into your life. That's a premise. Then voters actually elect politicians who make a different promise. It says who instead promise. Mm -hmm. So the people who actually get elected are the ones who, who promise that the government will provide assistance to solve their most pressing problems. So now I'm, I'm picturing two different candidates. I've got a candidate who's saying, hey, elect me and I'll, I'll make it so that government won't you know, be spying on you or, or, or regulating you. And then I've got a different candidate who's saying, hey, I'm going to help you with your most pressing problems. And we have a premise here that those are the ones, the latter candidates are the ones who are actually winning elections. I have the exact same visualization, but also part of me is just wondering whether they could be one in the same. Like, I feel like this editor is thinking that they're different. And right. I'm thinking, if someone says they're going to reduce governmental intrusion to the lives, does that mean that they can't also promise to assist yeah. people in solving their most pressing problems? That's I, I think that's a totally fine objection. And I, I had that same thought, like, wait, can't they do both? Mm -hmm. But when I look at that instead... It just makes me think that, that that maybe we have to accept that these are two different populations. I agree, and I, I accept that instead. I, I think I would still just be a little, like, skeptical on that point in case. Yeah, well, we're going to be flexible in our thinking, right? But when we're always just going to retain these little grains of skepticism, we're mm -hmm. always going to say, ah, but what about this? Ah, what about this? What about this? Like, we're issue spotting. Really, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, when you're in law school, it's exactly what you're going to be doing. It's just sort of putting a pin in, hey, what about this? You know, like, here's a question I would ask, and here's a question I would ask, and here's a question I would ask. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Governmental assistance, however, costs money. And money can only come from taxes, which can be considered a form of governmental intrusion. So I get what they're saying here, right? They're saying, mm -hmm. hey, you know, you're, you're electing people who are promising to solve your pressing problems. But when you do that, it requires taxes, which is in turn governmental intrusion. So this is now, to me, reinforcing the gap between these two different types of candidates. Or it's, it's setting up a, hey, so, so we can't have both here. Yeah. So I guess I was thinking it was showing that one... It, they're the same, right? Or they, they might be the same. That promising to help someone is basically promising to intrude. Right, right. Yeah. Which means, so it's setting up this like difference here where you can't be saying both of these things. You can't say, I think that's mm -hmm. what the editor means here is you shouldn't, yeah. <clears throat> one candidate should not be saying, hey, I'm going to both reduce governmental intrusion and tax you to solve your problems. Mm-hmm. Right, that those two things are are gonna, are in opposition. That seems to be where the editor is going here. Yeah, like you might say that, but you're not going to actually do that. You can't do both of those things, right? Yeah. Thus, here comes the ultimate conclusion of the argument. 
governmental intrusion into the lives of voters will rarely be substantially reduced over time in a democracy. Okay. By the way, before we talk about this, one thing yeah. I've I've toyed with advising people is when you see the conclusion, especially when it says thus, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, any conclusion you can apply this to, but one thing to emphasize here is that when someone draws a conclusion, they're saying that this thing, whatever they're going to say, must be true. And sometimes I think that helps people see why the statement is sometimes absurd right like if you right. just read the conclusion as another claim and you're like okay hmm that's what this guy thinks as opposed to thus and then kind of mentally add the phrase thus it must be true that and then say whatever the conclusion says you start to think well wait does this really have to be true I don't think it has to be true, even if it's likely to be true. And therefore, here are the problems, right? And therefore, I'm skeptical. And that can help people be skeptical about the conclusions that they're reading. So if I were to read this conclusion, I would say in my head, thus, it must be true that, even though it doesn't say that, it must be true that governmental intrusion into the lives of voters will rarely be substantially reduced over time in a democracy. And I'm thinking, well, that doesn't necessarily have to be true, given what these politicians are saying, right? Yeah. So just to be clear, we're not accepting this as true. We're, we're actually doing the exact opposite of that, which is yeah. we're, trying to, we're trying to tell them why this conclusion does not have to be true. Yes. In other words, when someone draws a conclusion, they think it must be true. They are saying it therefore must, must be, true. be yeah. true. And when when you add that language, all of a sudden it's a lot easier to be like, well, wait, 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 you think this must be true? Sure, it might be true, but yeah. I don't think it has to be true. And here's why. So that's really that's similar to like how I always point out if it says clearly or obviously. Right. Because that usually means the exact opposite of what it of what it says. Mm -hmm. So if if we were doing this in class, I think I could. Yeah, I could. I can hear myself doing this in class. So, like when I read this conclusion, I could go. Thus, we definitely know for sure that mm -hmm. governmental intrusion into the lives of voters. And right to point out that hey, maybe we definitely don't know this for sure. Yeah. Okay. Why doesn't it have to be true that governmental intrusion into the lives of voters will rarely be substantially reduced over time in a democracy? Maybe there are other ways that governmental intrusion into the lives of voters can be reduced. Sure. Maybe there are other ways. The other thing I'm thinking right now is that it says voters actually elect politicians who instead promise Ooh, good one. to provide assistance. Uh, do they actually end up doing that? We have no idea. Yeah, you know, oh, I'm going to get you a job, I, you know, <laughs> definitely. I'm going to get you a job, promise, you know, I'm going to pay off your student loans and get you a job and make you better looking and just vote, vote for me. All your problems, all your dreams will come true. Yeah. I think... They're just promising to make America make America great. Something. Yeah. <laughs> and right, so 
but then they don't have to actually do shit once they get elected. Yeah. We've only been talking about candidates' promises. We have not been talking about what candidates actually do. So yeah, that's a really good objection. Cool. Which one of the following, if true, would most strengthen the editor's argument? So here I think we would be starting with our primary objection, right, Ben? Yeah. Go ahead. What can you would you make a prediction of like what you think the strengthener would oh, be? Oh yeah. So all we know is that these politicians are promising to assist in these problems. And if they're promising them, they may not necessarily go out and do them, in which case you don't necessarily need to raise taxes and thus intrude into the government. So if we can show that politicians who promise to help people will actually act on those promises, then maybe they will end up raising taxes and intruding into the lives. And thus this conclusion uh, starts to make more sense. Again, I don't know that it would necessarily be proven, but it would start to be more likely to be true, and that's all we're trying to do. I, so I would phrase that as, yes, politicians who make promises uh, fulfill them or something Yeah, like and that. you could even throw like an always in there, right? Sure, yeah, always. The stronger, the better. Yeah, we're trying to change the argument. We want to make the argument better here. If mm-hmm. we could add to the argument, every politician ever has always kept you know, as soon as they get elected, immediately they implement all of their promises fully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, that would be awesome because that would make this argument a lot stronger, I would say. Yeah. But we got there by pointing out the fact that politicians don't have to always keep their promises. Mm-hmm. So now we're strengthening the argument by thoroughly defending it against that possible problem. Yeah. All right. And now I guess we would look at the answer choices, huh? Yeah. A, politicians who win their elections usually keep their campaign promises. Uh, okay. That's <laughs> that's what we just said, except it says usually instead of always. But that's still pretty dang good. That's most of the time. So we're keeping A open. We are predicting that it's the answer. I'm thinking the only way that's not the answer is if there's another answer that says politicians who win their elections <laughs> always keep their campaign promises. Yeah, yeah. Right? That yeah. would be a better answer. That would and be a better answer, yep. Well, wouldn't you clearly pick that answer? You would You would feel comfortable, right? You would just say, oh, yeah, well, it's not A, it's B. You yeah, know, if it says sure. always, we'd be like, nope, okay, well, that's even better. A here is looking pretty damn good. Yeah. B, politicians never promise what they really intend to do once in office. (laughs) That's the exact opposite of what we're looking for. So that's a really good weakener. Yeah. B would be an awesome weakener, but we're looking for a strengthener. So B's out. C, the most common problems people have are financial problems. (laughs) So what? (laughs) Yeah. I don't see how that possibly strengthens the argument. D, Governmental intrusion into the lives of voters is no more burdensome in non-democratic countries than it is in democracies. That's absurd. We, it's like a distraction. We, the yeah. argument is about whether or not government intrusion will go up or down. Whether that's a burden or not a burden or a problem or not a problem is irrelevant. Well, and we also are only talking about democracies. We are not talking about non-democratic countries. They're not relevant here. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's it's funny. Uh, these answer choices seem so out of nowhere, you know? Sure. And I have to commend the test writers because sometimes in class, right, I'm sure you'll get this too, I'll just be like, oh, D is absurd. And then someone's like, well, 
if you think about this and that and this, mm-hmm. and you're like, wow. So the I can kind of follow your line of right. reasoning. You're wrong, but I can see where you went. And somehow the test writer <laughs> yeah. anticipated that sort of train of thought and wrote the answer, you know, and then people pick it. So it's it's interesting. I don't know how they, they do what they do, but. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. This is also the longest answer choice, you know, so they're wasting your time here. They're giving you words like you could just jump on some word that you think you like, you know, and, and pick it. Sure. Government intrusion, right? Like, hey, right. Oh, well, I it says that. governmental intrusion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's also sometimes don't, don't you get the student who picks an answer that they didn't really understand? Sure. Oh, I thought that was it. Cause I didn't really get, you know, I didn't get it. I don't understand. I think they're trying to trick me. So this is it. So this must be the one. Yeah. A, yeah, I saw how that helped the argument, but you know, D, it was so confusing that I figured it must be the right answer. What is it even saying? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, so that's always wrong. That's, that's just never the right way to solve the, one of these questions. You, you got to pick answer choices that you understand. Yeah. That's a basic, basic premise. Now, to the exception there, of course, is if you know the other four are wrong and you don't understand the fifth one, whatever one that is, then yeah. pick it. But don't pick it because you don't know. Yeah, that might pop up on an accept question. Sure. Right. If, there's, if we were looking for four strengtheners and one non-strengthener, the non-strengthener could be written in Latin and... That, you know, you could pick it as long as you knew the other four did strengthen the argument. Yeah. Yeah, that that's not <laughs> that's not what's happening here. This is just a bunch of bullshit. So D's out. E, politicians who promise to do what they actually believe yeah, ought to be done are rarely elected. We have no idea what they actually believe. And so this is talking about a smaller set of politicians than we were talking about initially. You know, what they believe was never mentioned in the argument. I don't see how what the politicians believe is actually relevant to this analysis. The argument had a big hole in it, which was, hey, these politicians don't have to do what they say they're going to do. A perfectly fills that gap. And so number 19, the answer here is going to be easily A. And this is one where, boy, that question's a lot easier if you make that good prediction, right? Yeah, it's a lot easier, and um, it just, oh, man, it just proves, I think, maybe it doesn't prove it, but it strongly supports this process of just sit down and take the argument to task. Right. And then go into the answers. So many people read the argument and I say, do you get it? And they say, yes. And then you say, well, what's wrong with it? And they're like, I don't know, but it's a strengthening question, which means there's something wrong with it. So figure it out. And you don't really understand it if you don't know what's wrong with it, or at least have some sense of like, "Eh, that area is not cool. Yep. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to start saying that like, okay, do you understand it? Yes. All right. What's wrong with it? I don't know. <laughs> and then I'm going to go, well, then you don't understand it. Yeah. If, you, if you're not pissed off, you know, it's like the bumper sticker. What is it? 
The bumper sticker? <laughs> if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good that's one. A bumper sticker. Oh, apparently, I don't read enough bumper stickers. Yeah, but that's the case here. Not, not that you have to actually be outraged, but you should be pointing out that these politicians don't have to do what they say. Yeah. That's a very reasonable objection to this editor's argument. And I like to sort of feign a little bit of outrage here. You know, it's, it's sort of like makes it a game. Yeah. You just picture yourself going, wait a minute, Mr. Editor. What about the fact that politicians don't have to do the shit they say they're going to do? And then that it just makes the answer here a so clear. Now I, I get to barely even spend any time at all with B, C, D and E. Yeah. But you can imagine a student that doesn't have a good prediction. You know, they just all the answers are equally worthy of consideration here because A doesn't jump out at them. And so then now they're like spending all this time figuring out what D really means. Yeah. And I don't have to figure out what D means because D is some complicated shit, seems irrelevant. And I already have A, which is like clearly the answer. (laughs) Yeah. So you skim B, C, D, and E and you pick A and you move on. And that's because you took the time to I like your language there, Ben, of um, take the argument to task. Yeah, but that's how it's done. I mean, that's how you, that's how you get really good at the logical reasoning. And that, by the way, is also a much faster process. Even though you took longer with the argument, you're answering the question itself a lot faster. And to be fair, you know, if you're just starting out and you look at an argument and you can't figure out for the life of you what's wrong with it. And so you feel like, hey, this is just taking way too long. That's only because you're just starting out or you haven't tried to do this before. And you have to go through that process of getting good at analyzing arguments so that you can do it eventually in the long run. um, And it's not even that long. But in the end, it's going to be the faster process. It's just yeah. maybe right now you have to like bang your head on the wall a little bit to think about what's wrong with it. You think it's okay, and then it says, which one of the following is a necessary assumption? And you're like, well, it doesn't seem like it's assuming anything. That's your invitation. That's yeah. your opportunity to now go back and figure it out instead of searching for the answer and getting that handicapped, right? Like, oh, yeah, I guess that could be an assumption. That's that's a shortcut that's going to help you go faster right now, but it's not going to help you develop your analytical chops. Yeah, and we're teaching you here a skill that is an important skill for lawyers anyway, you know? Yeah. You're the one that wants to be a lawyer, not me. <laughs> well, your word, a, your word. <laughs> a, a lawyer here, you know, I mean, you have to put yourself in the shoes of someone who's like cross-examining this editor. Yeah. That's what we're doing here is, you know, we're, we're noticing because we've got this editor on the witness stand or at a deposition and we can see that she's sweating and it's like, we're listening to her argument and we notice that she is talking about what candidates promise, not what candidates actually do, but what candidates promise. And we have to think that she's trying to pull the wool over our eyes, right? Her evidence here doesn't add up to her conclusion, not necessarily, because there's a missing piece of this argument, which is politicians do what they say. So it's like, oh, sorry, Ms. Editor, what was your evidence again? Oh, you're talking about what candidates promise? Okay, and what your conclusion is? 
oh, therefore, this grand sweeping conclusion that governmental intrusion into the lives of voters is never going to go down in a democracy? Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. I'm not, let me just ask you 5,000 more questions. Yeah. I, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to sell the LSAT to you or anything as a beautiful, perfect test, but that does strike me as a skill that lawyers ought to have. Yeah. No, I agree 100%. I mean, people take issue with the fact that the games are weird and you're never going to do that in law school. They take issue with the fact that you're never going to have these short (laughs) little arguments and have to poke holes at them. But no, actually, like the core skill that's being tested here, which is your ability to read and comprehend poorly written sentences and figure out what must be true and what doesn't necessarily have to be true on the basis of them is fundamental to any legal yeah. practice. It's testing your ability to ask good questions. Yeah. The, on the logical reasoning, for sure. I mean, I think the games are testing your ability to just work hard, you know, because those games, people haven't seen those before. So they're testing some like analytical skills, obviously, but yeah, they're also testing, oh, well, did you do a million practice games because if you do a lot of these games you're gonna get better at them yeah and they're all there for you i mean you have to pay us for them but they're all there and and if you just do them like you can't not get better at them if you do all of them you're gonna get better at them yeah. so that's also by the way a super lawyerly skill they're testing whether you are the type of person who prepares or not Hey, um, random thought here, and I'm sorry if I'm misquoting you, Peter, but Peter, who wrote in earlier, I think he said he doesn't listen to these uh, discussions. Oh, man. I kind of feel like, and I'm curious what the listeners, what you all think. I feel like this is the this is the gold of the podcast. We get a lot of questions about applications, the process of applying, should I apply now, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to do well in the LSAT. And I feel like the advice that we're giving here is not common out there. There's so much focus on techniques and steps and (laughs) all those things, which I do um, consider as I go through the test for sure. But that's all in the context of understanding the argument, not the other way around. It's not the means to the end. It's um, it's a way of leveraging what you've taken advantage of by understanding the argument. But anyway, I guess I'm just curious what other people think because I feel like this is like seriously good advice that people just don't necessarily get in all these random classes out there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean we're we're demonstrating like the actual process of how how we would in reality answer these logical reasoning questions (laughs) rather than starting with a bunch of bullshit theory about like well here this is a strengthened question and on a on a strengthened type of question here's the way i would be approaching the art no i don't give a shit that this was a strengthened question yeah this is an argument i've got this guy on the witness stand i'm gonna figure out what he's saying and i'm gonna ask him a bunch of tough questions then if the lsat says oh how would i strengthen this argument Well, Mm -hmm. then, okay, I can tell you how because I already was destroying this guy. Yeah. That that is how how it goes. You know, yeah, I'm interested, of course, in feedback on the show. Another thing to point out here, Ben, is that we only have six of these questions left from the June 2007 LSAT. Yeah. 
Do we have a we have one more reading comp or two more reading comps? Maybe? Yeah, we have some reading comp, and we could also go through those games. I, I've been thinking about that. That would be kind of interesting. Sure. I, I thought the first time we did a game, I thought it was okay. Yeah. Um. So we could do that again. We also could just start over from the beginning and just repaint the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. Know what I mean? I'm sure we'd have a, more to say now and <laughs> whatever. I don't know what we said back then. Can't promise no. anything. Yeah, no. Or we, LSAT India? Yeah, we should actually get some of those because they are, you know, they're available. And um, yeah. I think they might be kind of entertaining too, especially yeah. the ones that will have only four answers. All right. I think we need to leave it there for today. If you would like to email the show, you can hit both of us, help at thinkinglsat.com. If you want to just talk to Ben because he's more reasonable, that's ben at strategyprep.com. If you want to talk about couchsurfing, I am Nathan at foxlsat.com. You can tweet me and Fox, tweet Ben at strategyprep, tweet the show at thinkinglsat. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, please tell a friend. Please write the name Thinking LSAT Podcast on the whiteboard in your pre-law classroom <laughs> yeah. and tell everyone to listen to the show. That really helps us a lot. Yeah, and check out our online classes, right? We've gotten a few emails in the last couple of weeks about people who are considering some random class and we're like, did you know that we have a class? Yeah. I have one, you have one. Yeah. And if you're like, hey, I'm going to sign up for a Kaplan class because that's the only one that's available in my town. Boy, have you thought about doing it online instead of doing it live? Because um, you can access Baton and you can access me pretty easily these days through the internet, just like you're doing now by listening to the podcast. I got to say, Ben, I mean, I would 100% guarantee that you're online class is better than whatever Kaplan is throwing out there. Yeah. And I would say the same for yours. So. Yeah. Pretty confident. I'm not, not like bragging there or anything. It's that's like not tough competition to beat. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll pick Kaplan and go after them. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Um, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you shortly. Thanks. Thanks.